Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A Ukrainian brewery has reportedly switched from producing craft beers to making Molotov cocktails to help fight the Russian military. Though if you really want to slow down the Russians, just give them the craft beer. <laughs> Ugh, I felt like I ate a loaf of bread. Pumpernickel. The lighter side of mass slaughter. I got to admit, I'm having trouble with any jokes around this uh, this topic. Yeah, spoken like a 120-pound Manhattan media weasel who's very talented. I um, love that story of the brewery stopping making beer and making Molotov cocktails. I mean, that's an awesome story. Yes, yes. Um, and have you heard about the label? They no. even did custom labels for them. And I'm I'm contemplating whether I can say what they said. Uh, you can certainly speak of Putin. Vladimir Putin is a are two words frequently spoken in the English language. I can talk about Dick Nixon, and I can say I'm wearing a hat on my head. So I can say head, I can say Dick, I can say <laughs> a and is and Putin. But I'm afraid if I say them in the other order, it will offend people. But that's what the label actually said. That's How awesome. beautiful is that in its defiance? It reminds me of the Ukrainian soldiers who, I'm not sure if you've heard the update, it was thought they were dead, they were captured, and I pray they're not executed, but who they were, uh, they were guarding that Snake Island, which is kind of a critical island there by the port. Um, and... Uh, and the uh, the Russian ship captain kept telling him, you got to surrender. And they kept telling him to F off. <laughs> Literally, F you. Um, finally, they got taken. But uh, I, I just, I like the spirit of it. Right. Well, they've been at war for 14 years. True. It's a long time. And uh, the uh, number of people that have died in that war between Ukraine and Russia as a ratio of their population, would be the same as if in the United States, a bigger number than everyone that died in Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, all added together. Right. So this is not as new to them as it is to us, the idea of being at war with Russia. Right. For one thing. Um, I got to admit, it's a lot more fun doing the radio show when it's a an inspiring... Um, happy, I think they might pull this out narrative like it was on the last couple of days uh, that we were talking about this. But, man, I'm, I'm just I'm reading more stuff now as that convoy heads toward Kiev where it's the reality of just the superior numbers and technology and force is over, going to overwhelm the Ukrainians, and a whole bunch of people are going to die in the next couple of days. That's what, like, all your smart military people are saying. Look, this is what's like the most likely to happen. Well, and, and yeah, a couple of points. Number one, I think Putin is sensing the problem with his frontline troops because it is undeniable. I'm not saying it's all Russian troops. I wish it were, but there are a hell of a lot of them. A lot of the young guys who did the fighting who are like, why am I killing my neighbors? 
what is what am I doing here? Okay, but Putin has options. How about you just send in missiles from afar? You put a set of coordinates in front of a guy. It is uh, whose job it is to press the button. He'll press the button, and you'll devastate apartment buildings and kill the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands. Um, so he's doing that. Also, you know, as the the giant convoy grinds closer, as Jack was indicating, the force is just going to be so overwhelming. This cheery, plucky, look at them fight, look what a hero Zelensky is. A uh, period is going to seem mighty hollow in a mighty yeah, long time ago. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, and the other thing, and, and the point we've been making, and it's deadly serious, and we apologize if you've tuned in for laughs. They'll probably happen at some point, but. The whole hashtag activism thing, the whole cheering at soccer games thing, just all of it is sincere, and it's nice. But if it's not backed up by serious, immediate, triple emergency aid to Ukraine, lethal aid, and choking sanctions on Russia... Every single screw, no exempting energy, Mr. Biden, no matter what it does to the world economy for the next three three months or whatever. No screw left unturned. If that sort of thing doesn't happen, the hashtags and the Ukrainian flags and the sad faces on Twitter, that doesn't mean a damned thing. In fact, it's worse than nothing because it releases the steam. Or the standing ovations like President Zelensky got today after appealing to the European Parliament for help. I mean, I understand the standing ovation. I would have stood myself after he spoke. Of course. But he, he asked for all kinds of help that they aren't going to give him. Well, and like to establishing a no-fly zone. When he, to paraphrase what he said to Biden when Biden issued that, and feel free to go off on this if you like, Jack, that horrific instruction you should leave and establish a government in exile and we'll sanction them leave your people behind volodymyr uh anyway to paraphrase what he said at that point i don't need ovations i need bombs yeah that should be remembered forever that's just that was a bad look all the way around our president the leader of the free world in theory said the to the president of another democracy who is about to be taken over by Whatever you want to call him. The forces of evil. Told him, yeah, you ought to leave the country. That's what you should do. You know, get out of there while you can. Captain, get out while the get off good. your ship. It looks like it might sink. And, you know, Zelensky to his credit stayed. Zelensky to his credit stayed and, and is, is still fighting and risking his life every single day. And I think there's a real decent chance he dies and his family dies. But that is a bad look for our country. Bad, Horrible. Bad Horrible. It was a very Biden thing to say, though, a yep. very Biden thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, coming on the heels of our uh, the way we got out of Afghanistan with their president in Afghanistan saying, I'll fight to the finish. And then while he's doing that, he's got his plane loaded up with $100 million in cash and he takes off, perhaps at the urging of our president. For all I know, Biden told him you ought to get out of there. Don't stay and fight for your, your country like a sucker. Right, right. Well, luckily, the the brave, great man will be addressing the nation tonight, the State of the Union, which is always an idiotic waste of time, honestly. Um, I generally watch a chunk of it just so I can tell you what I thought of it the next day, but um, it'll be interesting to see what Tony strikes. The, the speech was written and rewritten and rewritten to go hard at, brace yourselves now, 
We must pass Build Back Better. Better had a pick of healthcare. Um, we must spend more trillions. We need to punish the Republicans for trying to stop people from voting. It was going to be all about that. And I have a feeling he's going to wallpaper a little. Ain't those Ukrainians brave? We're going to sanction the Russians. Now let's get back to Build Back Better. And right. man, that is that is so not reading the room. I I think so. I hope I'm right. Polls show 80% of people are following this story closely. It's going to be a rough day for Ukraine. By the time the president speaks, there's going to be some horrible stories there already are out of uh, out of the major cities there. And I think any of his crap about voter rights and pre-K, whatever. Shut up. Tell me know. what you're going to do to help Ukraine and nothing else. And get out of there. I don't care. I don't know if the 25th Amendment would allow this, but can we just convene America and all agree, look, you got the White House. You pick the moderate Democrat you want in there, okay? You want to go with Amy Klobuchar? You want to go with some uh, governor I've never heard of? All right, you get that. We'll put in some, you know, centrist uh, Republican but and and I'm I'm serious about this. If I had a, a, a stadium full of left, right, and center, I hit them with this plan. I think I'd get eighty five percent. Who's going to stand up for Biden Harris at this point? No, I don't think Doctor Jill Biden would vote against me. <laughs> She'd say, "Honey, the young man has a point." Robbie Suave with Reason, friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, that's a libertarian rag. He got a fair amount of attention over the weekend stating something that I think is clearly true. That if Mitt Romney were the Republican nominee, he would win in a landslide. A landslide. But there's no way he could get the nomination. Being, you know, the guy who voted for Trump's impeachment. Yeah. But it's clearly Clearly true. I think he would win. He'd win 46 states. Yeah, I agree. Our politics is so weird right now. And a lot that's weird now. (laughs) And particularly with Mitt Romney, he gets the credit for being the one in 2012 who was trying to point out to the world what a danger Putin was and how Russia was our number one geopolitical enemy at the time. But, of course, Obama, that clever young Obama, got off that great line on the stupid old Mormon. Ha <laughs> ha, really owned him. Owned his ass. Way to go, Barack. Nice line in the, the, the media. Clucked their approval. Hey, I got a Putin question for you. What was it? It popped into my head, popped back out again. Oh, does he believe his own crap? So does he believe? It seems like he actually might believe that he's liberating Ukrainians from Nazis. Does he believe that? That's difficult to say. I mean, people like him say whatever it takes to neutralize their opponent, even if temporarily or or paralyze public opinion for the 24 hours he needs, that sort of thing. So, I mean, he has no no hesitation to do things that are utterly untrue, say things that are utterly untrue. So I don't know. I I think it's difficult to say. It gets back to our previous conversation about if you are never, ever, Humbled, you're never questioned, you're never contradicted. You would drift into the sort of evil that that dictator after dictator has throughout human history. It, you know, it, it if you were to take a sympathetic sympathetic view of it, and and I'm not, but you almost could. 
that is practically guaranteed to make any of us evil if we are never contradicted. He's been president for 22 years, so it's been 22 years since anybody's said that's a terrible idea to him about anything. I think that would be unwise for these reasons, right? Now, I think he got pushback and consensus in the first probably three quarters of his reign, but I get the sense these days everybody's afraid to say anything to contradict the great man. Go step near that window. It is a beautiful view. Yeah. Or take a drink out of this water bottle. It's particularly delicious. Try on these new underpants. You remember? That's how they got uh, old uh, uh, Navalny, Alexei Navalny. They put poison in his underwear? Yeah, they put a dab of uh, that horrendous nerve agent in his drawers. Wow. Yeah. Anybody who will poison another man's junk is an evil, evil man and must be countered. And on that note for the segment, um, you can join the conversation on our text line at 415-295-KFTC. We'll have all the latest next. Armstrong and Getty. I was watching one of your uh, former leaders of NATO generals that are on cable news all the time uh, yesterday, and he said, Ukrainians are a very proud people, and they're also a very, very uh, gun-heavy culture. He said, it's very much like Texas. It's the size of Texas. They're very, very proud of their land, and they all have guns. He said it'd be like invading Texas. He said, would you like to try to invade Texas? I wouldn't. This yeah. former NATO commander said he wouldn't want to invade Texas, and that's what you're going to get when you invade Ukraine. Yeah, we've heard from Ukrainians uh, that the, the country is awash, and not just you know the sort of weapons you can get in the U.S., but fairly heavy weaponry uh, for various uh, reasons, including the 14 years or so they've been uh, battling Russians here, there, and everywhere uh, in their country, particularly in the the east. Um, so yeah, we'll just have to see. I just I'm very, very, very concerned about the, that enormous convoy of of tanks and vehicles and and personnel that is moving toward encircling Kiev. Yeah, well, Charles C. W. Cook's got a piece in the National Review today saying what we've been talking about all day long about. You know, all these stories about Ukrainian bravery and all that sort of stuff are absolutely fantastic, and they are. They are fantastic. But there have been a lot of brave people throughout history who stood up to evil and got crushed. Just because you're on the right side, you don't necessarily win. Brave people get crushed by bad people all the time if they don't have enough weapons. So, as I've said repeatedly today, the time to render serious aid, and no, no, we're not talking about sending in the Marines. Um, we're not talking about getting into uh, fights with Russia in the air. We're talking about just rendering every bit of aid we can short of that and turning every screw diplomatically, uh, financially, sanction-wise that it's conceivable to turn. Um, you know, if we don't do that before the slaughter, what's the point in doing it after? Anyway... Uh, the State of the Union address is tonight, and boy, aren't we all excited about that. Uh, Mark Thiessen, 
writing in the, uh, I think this is the Washington Times. Uh, do you even care? No, it's actually, that's right. He writes for the Washington Post. He's one of the token conservatives. Um, normally in the State of the Union address, the president steps onto the rostrum of the House of Representatives, touts the administration's achievements in the past year, and lays out a plan to build on them. That model won't work for President Biden. Although, I'll jump in and say that's absolutely what he's going to try to do, since I've seen excerpts. Uh, Most Americans don't think the state of our union is strong. They think Biden's first year has been a disaster. Since he took office, we have experienced the worst inflation in 40 years, the worst crime wave in many cities since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history, the worst foreign policy debacle in recent memory in Afghanistan, the worst global health crisis in a century is still upending our lives, and we are witnessing the worst act of unprovoked aggression in Europe since World War two little wonder that and he mentioned some polls that uh, biden's approval is underwater across the board on every major issue covid 19 51 percent disapprove foreign policy 58 percent disapprove crime 59 percent the economy 61 percent immigration 62 percent when it comes to ukraine 56 percent say biden has not been tough enough on russia and 54 percent say are there they are not confident in his judgment in a crisis what was that Political russian morning again? consult ah uh, 56 percent say not tough enough interesting and indeed political morning consult poll which is a pretty good poll found that 50 percent say biden is responsible for russia's invasion oof he doesn't that's sound part. that's politico. He doesn't sound tough. That's part of his problem, uh, and he can't help that because he's a very, very old, weakened man physically. He's going to sound so old tonight, and I think that's a lot of his approval rating. Is he just comes off as so damned old? He's at thirty-seven percent. He's at the lowest of Trump's lows. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, I was on uh, Netflix the other night, and I had taken in 10 hours that day of Ukraine coverage because I'm fascinated by this story, but I was wanting a break. So I was uh, flipping around um, Netflix and came across this documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival. Have you read about this or seen this? This documentary? No. There was a giant, and I mean giant, 300,000 music festival that went on in 1969 that's not Woodstock, and it was all black folks. That's right. I did read a review of this a couple a couple of weeks ago, but go on. That happened in Harlem, and some of the biggest acts of the day, and this, and it was well filmed, and similar to that whole Beatles thing. The footage has just been, you know, in somebody's garage for 50 years. And now all of a sudden it's been discovered and put into a movie form. It's really damned interesting on a bunch of different levels. The music is freaking awesome. I mean, you got B.B. King and some of your great funk groups and all these different people playing and everything like that. But it's just interesting that my whole life, obviously, I've heard about Woodstock, completely unaware that this nearly as big musical f- music festival happened the same summer, not even very many miles away, but it was all black people. So just for, or wasn't hippies or I don't know what. But. Yeah, I think part of the Woodstock mystique was the whole it ended up being free and muddy and people shared and it was beautiful and flower power and that sort of thing. But 
Um, yeah. Well, anyway, I highly recommend it. It's yeah. pretty interesting. So is it a, uh, a documentary about it, or is it just the show with some footage, or both? Both. Yeah. Okay. Both, cool. Both. both. There's Super. Both, cool. Lots. Lots of music footage where you just watch the musicians playing, and like really good sound and everything like that. And then a lot of interviewing people that were there and what it was like and all that sort of stuff. You know how I loves defunk. Um, trying to decide whether I want to read this or not. It's heavy, man. It is heavy. Beware wishful thinking in evaluating the Ukraine crisis from Charles C.W. Cook in the National Review. And it's basically the idea of uh, falling in love with the narrative, as we all have, and for obvious reasons I have too, of the, you know, the plucky underdog fighting against the big bad Satan. But Charles Cook pointing out how it's likely to turn out. Um. Let me read a little bit from it. The sad truth is that, myself included, of course, we really do not know much about what is happening in Ukraine as we'd like to. A lot of the things that we thought we knew turned out not to be true, um, and that has been the case throughout. War is a terrible thing, and it seems likely that it's about to get far more horrible still. Unless the Russians contrive a clever reason to stop, The next stage will likely involve the broad deployment of heavy artillery, that's what they're working on today, and the beginning of missile strikes on Ukrainian cities. There will be fighting in and around major population centers. Volunteers will be wiped out. Children will be maimed. War crimes will be committed. The result of this, even if the ploy ultimately fails, will probably not be the good guys rushing in to save the day, but thousands upon thousands of painful deaths. And then what? It seems clear that there remains enough fighting spirit within the broader Ukrainian population to make a permanent Russian occupation impossible. But Russia, too, can play games with its enemies' resolves. It's easy to tweet platitudes and change your Facebook avatar to yellow and a blue uh, to a yellow and blue flag. But are we going to risk a nuclear war over Kiev or Kharkiv? All of this is a long way of saying that Americans should be careful not to get carried away or become so obsessed with hating the bad guys and loving the good guys that they become unaware of the details on the ground. Despite what the media would like to be true, Americans do not actually need to be fed infantile or cynical analogies in order to discern that Russian is the bad actor here. Now let me skip down just a little bit because I thought this was really an interesting point. And then we can discuss. Do you know what he's referring to with the uh, infantile stuff and the... An- analogies? No. No, me neither. We need to grasp the potential consequences of escalation and the potential consequences of inaction. We need to ask ourselves tough questions such as, if Russia were to invade Poland, should American soldiers be deployed? And at what point are we willing to fight? And we need to distinguish between war and propaganda, which has real value to those fighting and to the truth. I would say that makes sense to me, that we ought to decide. Well, no, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, maybe it does. Okay, I'm going back and forth in my own head. So uh, I was about to say maybe we should decide right now, once and for all. Will we honor Article 5 of the NATO Treaty if the you know they move into Poland, which is right next door, or a portion of Poland? Maybe we should decide that now. The other side of my brain was saying, well, videos change everything. 
We talked about that earlier and gave a good description of uh, another time when that happened, if you want to catch the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. But there have been many times where the polling, boy, World War II is a good example. The polling on World War II and World War One. Very few Americans willing to get involved until X happens. Then all of a sudden, overwhelming support to get involved. You know, the, the, the facts on the ground change, our perception changes, and then all of a sudden the polls move drastically. Or does it make more sense to commit to something in plain, cold-hearted reality and then not be swayed by videos that you see? I would I would say in response to your specific question about Poland and NATO, what ha- what needs to happen this afternoon, if possible, uh, tomorrow at the latest, is every uh, you know I was going to say head of state, but every representative to NATO stands up on a podium on a stage together, and they all repeat, uh, "An attack on one is an attack on all." Article five stands, uh, and anybody who hears this ought to know we're serious. Well, say that and write it down in granite. Well, um, uh, one NATO representative made noises over the weekend that they may consider a cyber attack as justification to invoke Article 5. For instance, if Putin shuts down the electric grid in Ukraine, but it spills over into Poland because that's the way electric grids work, and you have Polish citizens dying in hospitals because the electricity's turned off, or soldiers getting hurt on a military base because the electricity's turning off. Is that Article 5, and all of a sudden we're involved in a war with a nuclear power that has threatened nuclear weapons? Something tells, me, something tells me that sort of question is being considered right now, but something also tells me that the uh, commission studying it will bring forth a report in 15 years, which will say we need to continue studying the topic. So I I don't know. That's a great question. I have a high level of doubt that the powers that be will answer it adequately. And so we'll be left wondering, you know, about Article 5, about how serious the various NATO powers are. Although there has been a significant change in the posture of quite a number of European countries, some, some of the changes I never thought I would see. And so... There's been a hell of a lot more than hashtag activism and people changing their Facebook you know, icon and the rest of it. Uh, you have Germany shipping arms and saying, yeah, we're totally reconsidering all our energy policies. You have Switzerland saying we're not neutral anymore uh, and stuff like that. So uh, I, think, I think a lot has changed in the last we, week. We had a lot of soldiers on the ground fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan doing what again? Protecting who from what? And we put up with that for an awful long time. I could easily see some terrible images coming out of Kiev, various parts of Ukraine, and all of a sudden getting over 50% of Americans to say, bring it on, U.S. Air Force, we're going to stop those planes from flying. No fly zone. I'm in. I could easily see those numbers getting into the positive side. I agree. That doesn't necessarily make it a good idea. Well, I don't have much respect for politicians. I've, they tend to do what they're, which direction the wind is blowing. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to believe that uh, uh, Chancellor Schultz in Germany was just, you know, wanting to be on the right side of history and being a good guy, or he saw 100,000 Berliners in the street over the weekend and thought, ooh, this is the direction the wind is blowing. 
Yeah, it might be a little of both. I mean, if I was going to take a more charitable view, I'd say he saw what the right thing to do was, then realized that the people were with him. So mm-hmm. let's get started. I don't know. I don't. I, I certainly don't think that this is over in terms of where we are publicly on how far we're willing to go. It could change a lot in the next. It could change a lot in the next several days. We will uh, finish strong as we always do here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Stay here. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This is called the Freedom Square. Can you imagine this morning, two cruise missiles hit this Freedom Square, dozens of killed ones. This is the price of freedom. We are fighting just for our land and for our freedom, despite the fact that all large cities of our country are now blocked. Nobody is going to enter and intervene with our freedom and country. And believe you me, every square of today, no matter what it's called, is going to be called, as today, Freedom Square in every city of our country. Nobody is going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. Yeah, that's the country Vladimir Putin said doesn't exist. That's odd. So that was translation of President Zelensky's speech to the European Union today in which he asked for more help. He's asking to become a member. I don't think they're going to do that. Certainly not in time. He's asking for a no-fly zone. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, He announced this morning when the sun came up, daylight rises over Ukraine, Kiev still stands, he's been announcing every day. I hope that's still true tomorrow, as uh, bombs are raining down on Kiev and that giant 40-mile-long convoy of Russian death is headed toward the town, and the world is going to let it happen, I guess, and maybe for logical reasons, but it's hard to watch. It is hard to watch, especially with that convoy of death sitting there like the world's greatest sitting duck, just just immobilized and unable to go anywhere. And, you know, just it would be the easiest operation in the history of air power to take it out. Oh, yeah. And yet, yet we can't. And, and I understand. I understand the reasons why. You just wish you could give the Ukrainians enough gear that they could do it for themselves. The State of the Union address is coming up tonight, which normally uh, we would simply mock and poo-poo and not join in the festival of, oh, isn't it awesome? It's the night Washington comes together. Oh, the president speaking to the... It's Watch so me. phony at this point. It's just so overrated and phony. As Jack pointed out earlier, the president can unleash his pearls of wisdom at us seven days a week and frequently does. So why do we need to get together to hear one big speech, which is a bunch of, it's a laundry list of, you know, lefty wishes anyway. But, well, yeah, you don't. I'll watch the the opening chunk just so I can howl about it tomorrow. But this is interesting. Uh, This is breaking today. Senator Joe Manchin criticized President Biden's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, arguing that the White House was pushing hypocritical policies on energy imports. 
Mr. Manchin of West Virginia said the administration needs to curtail its reliance on Russian petroleum if it was serious about holding Russian President Vladimir Putin accountable for his belligerence in Ukraine. No, belligerence is when you yell and call the waiter boy. Uh, Slaughtering civilians is a little more than belligerence, but... Uh, Manchin said, quote, the entire world is watching as Vladimir Putin uses energy as a weapon in an attempt to extort and coerce our European allies. While Americans decry what is happening in Ukraine, the United States continues to allow the import of more than a half million barrels of oil, uh, crude oil a day and other petroleum products from Russia during this time of war. Um, to call out the president as uh, a hypocrite, a senator of his own party, um, you know what uh, Manchin ought to do? When does the so to start? I can't even remember. So like uh, eight o'clock Eastern or something like that. Close five, to that. Five o'clock Pacific. Uh, an hour before, whenever th- that time is, Joe Manchin needs to call a press conference and announce that he is switching to the Republican Party. Do. What? It'd be like showing up in white to your friend's wedding. It would be a really good diss. It's so ridiculous that we stopped or canceled so much of our oil drilling. We're not using any less oil. We just buy it from other people instead of producing it ourselves. Right. And some of the progressives feel good about that, like we accomplished something there. So you make other countries, usually horrible countries like Saudi. We're the number one oil producer in the world right now. United States is followed mm-hmm. by Russia and Saudi Arabia. Well, those other two countries are horrible countries. So we buy more oil from Saudi Arabia and Russia. But don't produce it here, and you feel like you've done what for the environment? Well, and the hypocrisy is even worse than that, and even stupider than that, because those countries aren't all, uh, just loathsome in terms of human rights. They're loathsome in terms of their environmental record. So you have farmed out your oil production from the most careful country on Earth to countries that couldn't give a crap. And you congratulate yourself. We shut down the Keystone Pipeline. We've we've canceled all the future leases for drilling. Look how enlightened we are. God, you just want to slap these people silly. It is childish. Yes. It is just amazing. And now, especially now, as uh, Senator Manchin said there, Russia being able to use oil as a weapon because... They've got that power. They would have less of that power if we produced more oil. Do you want it in our hands or their hands as a weapon? Good God. Here's the unfortunate part. I just happened to be reading about this. Uh, People involved in the oil industry, drilling, exploration, etc., they say you have to constantly be drilling new wells and exploring because every well you've got is petering out from the day it starts. And so we've taken this long break during the Biden administration. It would take a year or two minimum to get back up to full production. And even worse than that, and every employer listening is going to say amen to that, brother. So many other workers have gone away. So many of the drilling workers and the people skilled in the tasks that need to be done to bring the oil out of the ground, they've gone off in a hundred different directions. They don't have any people. And now it's final thoughts with Armstrong and Getty, homeboy. Why so droopy, dog? Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. There he is, our technical director, uh, pushing the buttons, Michelangelo. Michael? Yeah, I'm trying to work out gas prices. They're so high, I'm thinking about maybe doing carpooling. 
But then I got to be ready in the morning, and then they got to be ready, and so that ain't going to work out for me. No, no, that's why nobody does it. That's right. Uh, young Alex, our behind-the-scenes producer, is off, so we'll move swiftly to the co-host. Jack, a final thought for us? Oh, that's right. Alex is doing his um, his uh, bachelor party in Vegas, and he's not a drinker. I asked him about this yesterday. So that explains how you can be in Vegas for a week, because as a drinker who hung around drinkers, the idea of a week in Vegas makes oh, my be dead. head... <laughs> you'd be dead. Uh, I hope I'm wrong about what's going to happen in Ukraine the next couple of days. That's my final thought. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, my final thought is, uh, sorry I was off for a couple of days in the midst of uh, all the craziness. I just uh, had plowed a lot of money into a vacation and decided I probably ought to show up for it. Uh, but I had a lovely time, but I'm back and nastier than ever. And uh, look forward to, I hope, bringing some good and hopeful news about Ukraine uh, in the next couple of days. But, you know, whatever happens, we'll try to tell you the truth about it. Does Joe Biden realize how little Americans want to hear about anything other than Ukraine in his State of the Union address tonight? No. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people have thanked so little time. Here's why you want to go to armstrongandgetty.com. Number one, you can pick up an a t-shirt or something like that. It helps uh, to keep the guys on the payroll. Uh, secondly, you can email us anytime, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. If there's something we ought to see or you have an opinion you'd like to share, also, the hot links are there. All the articles we talked about, the videos, armstrongandgetty.com, and you can get the podcasts there, too. We will see you tomorrow. There'll be a lot to talk about then. God bless America. Point of personal privilege. What in God's name? What's going on here? I'm not allowed to make any comments. Let me say Let me say one thing. LGB. What percentage of the people are on drugs? 80%. You can shut your faces up your ass. And when it's over, it is over. It is over. I, are you sure of that, dude? I said bye. Let's go, Brandon. Whatever the f*** they're doing inside there. Now, I know you guys are having fun playing your game. Quit playing games. Shut up, no, 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 no. On that high note, thank you all very much.